0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. A few months ago, we decided that we wanted to spend August talking about what we're calling a how-to guide. A how-to guide. And as I started thinking about that, I said to Garrett, who's our communications coordinator on our staff, he's really a part of uh, kind of putting together all the imagery that you see in the videos and things and does a great job. I said to him, I said, listen, the only image I have in my head is an Ikea instruction manual. Right, And if you've ever built anything from Ikea, you know how frustrating that can be. Because you, you get this like, you, you go walking through Ikea. First of all, that's just an experience. We, Corey and I have never been to Ikea where we were, we were in and out of there in less than eight or nine hours. Okay, Because you just kind of walk around and you see all these amazing things. And it's like, hey, here's an apartment with 400 square feet and 3,800 pieces of furniture. And it's amazing how it all fits together. And So you get that and you're like, I want that. And then you go downstairs, but you don't get that. You get four boxes that with a sticker on it that says one, two, three, and four. And somehow those four boxes and the contents of those four boxes, you have to follow the instructions that they give you. Here's the problem. There are no words. In that instruction manual, there are just images, and there are stick figures, and they are pointing to things, and then there are screws that if you go back a couple of pages, you find that those screws are numbered, but there's a lot of screws, and you're not sure, like you're holding them up, you're like, is this the 5-8th screw? No, that's the 7 8 screw, and you can't figure out which one's which, and I will be honest with you, okay? If you come to my house right now, you're going to sit in some chairs that I built And I had a lot of screws left over. I don't know where they go. I just thought like maybe they put extra in the box. I'm not really sure. And so it's just really you trust in God that that chair is going to hold you. And we've got coffee tables. And it's not just Ikea. It's other places and other things that we build and we put together. But we get these instruction manuals. I remember a few years ago I was putting together a toy that we had gotten for one of our children for I think a birthday. And and I'm putting it together, and honestly, I said to Corey out loud, I was like, I don't know what they charge to put it together at the store, but it is worth it. I will never do this again, right? Because I'm left with some type of instruction manual that makes no sense. It's a how-to guide. And throughout that how-to guide to put something together, there are a number of different things. Again, you get kind of the, the, the components that you're supposed to use, the screws and the, the, the slats and the boards and all of those pieces, And then throughout there, you get kind of the numbered diagrams. You do this first and this second and this third and this fourth. And some of you right now, your personality type, you're like, I've never read that. I just put it together by feel. I just, you know, I just kind of look at it and this makes sense. And you start putting it together. But other places in those instruction manuals, there are like diagrams. And then all of a sudden there's like a big X over it. It's like, don't do this. And you you find that after you've already done that, right? You've already, you're like, oh, you can't put the bottom on first. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about what I believe is the parallel between these instruction manuals and the Bible. Because I think what happens is when we start to put together our lives, when we start to construct our lives, sometimes it feels like if we're looking for God's wisdom, it feels a little bit like an Ikea instruction manual. It's like I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Like I flip it open and it just looks like stick figure. It's just like a character and I don't know how that relates to my life and I'm trying to figure out how all of these pieces in any way affect my life on Tuesday at work. But if you're telling me that I'm supposed to honor God and trust God and live by faith and, and my family can be impacted and my friendships and relationships can be impacted, like the way that I live my life and honor God with my finances, like there's stuff in there about all of that, like how do I find it and what do I do? Well, as I was thinking about this series and I was thinking about how we put it together, here, here's the parallel that I see. The whole manual of putting something together is designed to guide you toward building what the creator had in mind. Well, the Bible is also that truth. The whole Bible is designed to guide you toward building the life that God had in mind for you. And I think what happens is we, we tend to look at the Bible the same way that we do an instruction manual. We kind of look at it a little bit and we're like okay I got saved I said a prayer I trusted God to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life and so they told me to start reading the book of John so I started reading the book of John and I read John and it was awesome and it was like okay well there's some really famous passages in there and thank God for John well what do I read next okay well I'm I don't really know. And so like, I'm going to, I guess I'll just go to Genesis. I'm going to read the Bible through this year. And so I start reading Genesis and then I read Genesis and and Exodus. And those are some great stories. And then I get into Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. And it's like, I don't, I mean, there's offerings and grain and sacrifices and they're counting people. And it's like, I don't really know what does this have to do with me at all? There's tribes and people. And so then what we do is we start trying to cherry pick instruction out of scripture. We're like, well, I, I guess I need some wisdom in how to parent, and we go to google and we're like scriptures related to parenting and we find a scripture and we flip over to it and we go okay and i'm going to read that okay yeah okay all right don't exasperate your children i got it okay that's what i'm going to do i'm not going to do that and we're trying to figure out how do we put that together with our our children honoring father and mother and how do we put that together with a life of faith and a And so we start cherry picking these verses out of scripture that looks a lot like trying to build a thing ourselves, and then go back and make sure in the instruction manual that we haven't skipped a step. But I think that the Bible was given to us for us to not just read it from beginning to end, but to really take all of scripture, all of the, the contents that God has given to us, has entrusted to us, and we try to put as much of God's word Into our hearts. The Psalms tell us how does a young man, how does a young woman stay pure? By hiding God's word in their heart. It's not just about finding a scripture or two. And here's the other part about it. It's not just a day or a week or a month that makes this possible. It is a lifelong journey of internalizing as much of God's word into our hearts so that we can live in such a way that we really see the construction of our lives in the way that God has designed it to be. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he talks about this idea as he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy. He writes a couple of letters to his protege, Timothy, and the second of those letters that we have is appropriately named 2 Timothy, and this is what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. It says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathe, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, again, if you just read that by itself, which you probably have, like it's there's a pretty famous part of that, verses 16 and 17, that says all scriptures God breathed. And well, what does that look like? Well, we, we talked about this a little bit in our Easter sermon this past year, just about how we could trust the scriptures, but when we talk about it being God-breathed, what we are saying is that every part of Scripture comes from God. Now, it is written, it's collected by uh, over 40 different authors throughout history, but it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired. He impressed upon the hearts of these writers the words that he was trying to convey to you and to me. And so it's God-breathed, and that's, that's awesome, and it tells us what that's useful for. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. But I love the first portion of the passage that we just read, as Paul is helping this young protege, this this young man who's growing in faith, as he's trying to help him, he says, hey, there's something that you need to know. I commend you for what you've been doing, and I tell you to continue in your learning and, and the things that you are chasing after and what you've already become convinced of. He's saying, listen, you have become convinced of some things, your life is being built on some foundational truths that you've learned because from, from childhood, you were internalizing God's word. In our, in our G Kids ministry, in our Generation Youth ministry, we want to get God's word into the hearts and lives of our children because we want them to know from a very early age that God's word is not just some history book. It's not just some random, arbitrary kind of literature and text. It is the living, breathing word of God, And so Paul is saying to Timothy, like, you've gotten God's word into your heart, and he also says, and I love this, he says, because you know those from whom you've learned, so there is a mentoring aspect, there's a community aspect, so there's relationships. It's the idea that we know that there are people in our lives who are living their lives in such a way that it's like, hey, I want my life to look like that. I want my life to end up that way. We talked a few months ago about the fact that when we're starting to think about who we take advice from, like don't take advice from someone whose life isn't progressing towards the kind of life that you're trying to live, Right? You don't take like, how to get out of debt advice from somebody who is completely in debt and broke and, and has no plan to get out. You don't want to take advice from you know, someone about how to lose weight, from someone who just continues to eat at, like all-you-can-eat buffets with no plan of dieting or exercising or changing their eating. Like, you've got to find someone who is on a track that says, hey, this is an end result that they're chasing, and I'm looking for that same kind of end result. I'm looking for that same kind of progress in my life. And so Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, there's some, there's some people that have helped you to learn some things, and you're doing well listening to those kinds of people. He says, those kinds of relationships and the word of God in your life, they're making a difference. And then what he goes on to say right there is he says, so that you can be equipped for every good work. Over the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is that God has a good work for you. God has something specifically that he has designed for you that he's trying to accomplish in and through your life. And he says, hey, all of these pieces have helped you to become convinced of that. Relationships and mentoring and and the kinds of influences that you have in God's word, they are helping to convince you of these things. And some of us are easily convinced of a lot of things in this day and age And it's not the kind of things that we need to be convinced of. And I'm convinced that the reason we are so easily convinced of other things is because our lives are not grounded on the absolute truth of God's word. Our lives are foundationally positioned over top of the things that change. It depends on who's in charge on our job, or who's in charge of our country, or it depends on which news channel we're watching at this point in time, or it depends on which friends are showing up on our news feeds from time to time, and and so those are the things that begin to impress us and convince us of what is absolutely the truth, and I would say to you that many of those things are not absolutely the truth because they are not founded in the absolute truth of God's word. And so, so many of us, what we should do is we should turn down all of these other voices and we should turn up the voice of the, of the Holy Spirit as we read through God's word and we internalize God's word. And as we do that, I am convinced that our lives would begin to look more and more like what, what God is trying to create and craft in all of us. Matthew chapter seven in the gospels, this is Jesus talking. This is what he says about that kind of foundational truth. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds house on a sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I believe with all of my heart that the word of God is a how-to guide. I think there's incredible wisdom that is contained within the pages of Scripture. I think you have law and I think you have prophets and I think you have wisdom literatures and I think you have poetry and I think you have some historical stories and context that help us to understand the narrative of humanity in relation to God. I think you have all of these pieces of prophecy that speak to maybe what still is yet to come. But all of those, as they come together, help us to understand who God is and what God desires for us. And so here's the big idea for the next four weeks. And I'm still setting up the whole series, okay? So here's the big idea for the whole four weeks. We've made the Bible a list of thou shalt nots, but it's actually a list of how-tos to find God's best for our life. We've made the Bible this list of thou shalt nots, but it's actually a list of how-tos for God's best For each of our lives because I believe that God desires for all of us not just to survive but to really thrive in life and what you're not going to hear from me is some kind of name it and claim it and and as soon as you proclaim it it's going to be yours and some type of that that's not what I'm talking about here but I believe that God desires for your life to thrive even as you walk through heartache even as you walk through hardship because God is present with us in those moments I'll set it up. One more thing before we jump into the content for specifically today, just over the last few minutes of our time. Earlier in June, we were in our Summer in the Psalms series, and we brought in a guest speaker, Dr. Justin Walker, and he preached an incredible message from Psalm 19. My biggest takeaway from that message was when he talked to us about the idea of obedience. He talked to us about the idea that so often what we assume is that obedience gets us to the prize. It's like a dog or a child. Like, hey, if you make good grades, you're going to get to go get ice cream. Or, hey, if you, if you sit, you're going to get a treat. And so we assume that God is conducting himself with us the same way. If you will be obedient, then I'll give you blessing. If you will be obedient, then I'll give you favor. And what Justin said to us in that message is, what if obedience isn't a means to an end? What if it's actually the end? What if obedience is the blessing? What if the process of what God is building in and through our lives is actually what God is blessing us with? It's that process. It is the blessing of being obedient and seeing that come to fruition. And so what I want to do today is I want to take all of what I just said, this idea that God really does desire something for us, that God is building something in and through our lives. And I want to talk about one facet of that just for the remaining time that we have together. Today, I want to talk about living by faith. I want to talk about faith in and of itself. Now, when I say the word faith, maybe it conjures up a lot of different images in your mind. Maybe there's a lot of things that you think about when you hear faith. You think about prayer and praying by faith. You think about the faith of a mustard seed. You think about all of the images, perhaps, that you heard in Scripture or in other sermons or in other moments just like this. And there's a lot of places we could go. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what faith is. It's the evidence of things we hope for and the things that we can't yet see. And we see the hall of faith and these incredible things that took place as men and women of God used faith to trust God for great things. But I wanna focus on very, one very specific idea today. And to find that idea, I wanna go to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So here's the question for all of us today How do we live by faith? How do we live by faith? Not how do we have faith. I think most of us in the room have some level of faith. But how do we live day by day, moment by moment? How do we live by faith? If the righteous live by faith, then what does that actually look like for each of us? Now, first, we have to recognize that the first place that we exercise faith is in that salvation experience with God. Scholars might call it the salvific work, like the idea that salvation is is given or conveyed to us. And here's what you and I know. We can't save ourselves. And I've said from this stage so many different times, it's not for a lack of want to, but I can't save you. I can lead us in a prayer. I can lead us through a moment. I can lead us in a spiritual experience, perhaps. But ultimately, that salvation work is a moment between you and God. God. And it's not something that you can create for yourself. It's not a works-based transaction on your behalf, on my behalf. I can't do anything to create salvation for myself. Jesus said in John chapter three, when Nicodemus came to him, he said that you must be born again. So to actually live by faith, it starts by being born again, to recognize that even the human experience that we walk through is one aspect of living after we were born on the earth but then to be born again is to actually put our faith and hope in God to believe that there's something beyond the human experience. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We've actually spent some time in Ephesians two and three over the last few months, a lot. I've just, I've been reading it a ton. But Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says this. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast." So it is by grace, the grace of God that we're saved. So what part do we play? If salvation is is a result of the grace of God, what part do we play? Now, here's what I was thinking as I was preparing this this week. I was thinking about the fact that our kids all went back to school. And if you don't have school age kids in your home right now, and some of you, you've experienced that before, that's great. Some of you were experienced that perhaps in the future, and that's great as well. Right now, we're kind of living in the first week of school, kind of finishing, and, and I don't know, maybe there's some teachers in the room or other parents that felt this way. We felt like this first week of school lasted a month and a half. It just, I don't know, it just seemed longer than normal. Maybe it was a COVID hangover or something from other, I'm not really sure, but it seemed, like Monday through Friday was almost like May to November. It just felt long, right? And so throughout this week, a couple of our kids had to make some schedule changes. They were in some classes and they had to kind of move their schedules around. And so that meant that even the routine of what their day looked like changed from Monday to Tuesday, maybe Tuesday to Wednesday. And they kind of locked it in by about Thursday. And maybe there's one we're still waiting on for this next week. And so they were walking through that. And I was thinking about all of these various things for a first week of school, and I was taken back to some of my own school experiences, which unfortunately is a lot longer ago than I care to admit. But I was remembering, and I've talked about this before, I was remembering English class where we diagrammed sentences. Anybody remember that? Where you had like the line and then you put like the verb up a line and then like the down, and then there was like an adjective on the like other blower line. I may have all that wrong, so if I'm an English if you're an English teacher, like please forgive me, but that's kind of just what I remember. It looked like a like a broken tree branch or like the USB logo. Now I don't know. It's like there are a lot of things that are happening there. And so and so I was thinking about that, and I was I was remembering what we're reading right here, and I was thinking about how. As as again, this is written by Paul, he's writing to the church as a letter here to the, the city of Ephesus, and I was thinking of how he put this sentence together, how he constructed it. And I was thinking about sometimes if we're not careful, we miss pieces that go together because we add something in the middle. You, you throw a comma in there and you put this other phrase and then a comma and then you jump back to your original thought. Or in this case, you throw some dashes in there and there's some stuff in between the dashes that separate another thought. So I'm gonna do something. So everybody just look right here at me for just a second. I'm going to do something. And I said in our huddle beforehand as we were praying for the service, I'm, there's somebody, I promise you, it's gonna think like, oh, you're a heretic. You are taking away from scripture, which you're not allowed. I'm not doing that, but I'm gonna strike through some words. And the only reason I'm doing that is just to help us visually see how some things may go together So throw this back up here guys We're going to strike out the words that are in between the dashes For it is by grace you have been saved through faith not by works So that no one can boast all of the stuff in between the dashes is important like vitally important But just for us to get this linear thought together, we're just going to kind of jump over those for a second and miss the fact that it's a gift of God that provides this. But it is through faith, not by works. And why would that be important? Because if salvation came through our works, we would boast in our own efforts. We would say, look what I did. Look what I've accomplished look how I provided for my own salvation. I'm so proud of me. And, and look what, you know, and and it's like that pharisaical spirit, the Pharisees of the gospels that were walking around these very religious people who, because they kept the law, wanted everybody to see how religious they actually were. And unfortunately, Pharisees didn't just end in the Bible. There are people now that are walking around the world and, and they're kind of living their life right now. And they're living it in such a way where the focus should be on them and their Religiosity and their ability to keep the law. You can just cut it off, guys, if it's distracting. Their ability to keep the law. It's not through works, and the reason it's not through works is so that no one can boast. What is salvation? Salvation is from the grace of God, and the role that you and I play is just having enough faith to believe that it's not about what we do. Focus on on this. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has already done. So you can just stop trying to earn salvation. You can just stop trying to be good enough. You can, just stop. Like you can just rest in knowledge that it is the faith that you give to a God that you can't see for a completed work of Jesus on the cross that you weren't there to experience for yourself. And out of that faith that you have in that kind of moment, you can receive salvation from God. And you're like, I got that. I've known that for a long time, okay? Then here's the follow up question. If, if, if living by faith starts with trusting by faith for salvation, if the righteous live by faith, we only become righteous as we have a right standing with God, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ and the cross. That's where it starts. Then how do we live by faith beyond salvation? How do we live by faith day by day, moment by moment, and not by works? Because like even if we could convince ourselves that salvation is through faith alone and not by works so that we don't boast, I am convinced that many of us are saved by faith but live by works. We live our life out of our own strength and our own ability and our own gifts and our own charisma. And much of our lives require little of God. I mean, if you found out tomorrow, if tomorrow morning you woke up and there was unbelievable evidence that God did not exist, how would your life change, if at all? How would your Monday be different if you found out that God did? I would hope for all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ that our lives would be in complete disarray because our lives are so grounded and founded on who God is and and what God empowers us to do every single moment of every single day that we wouldn't even know how to take one foot And put it down in front of the other because all of our days and every one of our steps is based on faith to trust that God is ordaining our steps and guiding our lives and building something through his word into our hearts. So how do we live by faith? Faith Faith-filled deeds are a result of faith-filled seeds. Now, the only reason I write it that way is just so maybe it sticks in our minds, Faith-filled deeds, the things that we do that are by faith, I believe are a result of little faith-filled seeds, just these little intentional moments, these little intentional efforts. I'm gonna give you some examples here. As we read through the Bible, there are these incredible stories that are collected of men and women of God who did incredible things for God by faith. Noah and the ark comes to mind. He built an ark. You're like, well, I mean, that's, I mean, Okay, that's not a big deal. No, 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 he built a boat to keep them safe from the rain when they had never seen rain ever. So he just trusted God in obedience. It was faith-filled. He's commended for it in Hebrews chapter eleven. And you're like, okay, well, that's awesome. That's faith-filled. I would do big things for God, but God cho- chose Noah to build the boat because when he was looking over all of the messiness and sinfulness of the earth he chose Noah because Noah was righteous. Even before God asked him to do something great, Noah was doing the little things well. He was living in such a way that he was trusting God every single day. And so God knew that when he needed somebody to do something big, he could be trusted because he'd been doing the little stuff right. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, obviously they didn't bow to the idol and King Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, and he eventually throws them into the fiery furnace, right? This really famous story, he throws them into the fiery furnace, but we see that Jesus appeared. This, this fourth figure appeared in the fire, and they weren't burned up, and they didn't even smell like smoke, and, and so they bring them out. And that's amazing, and it was faith that caused them to be able to experience that truth. But how would God know that they could stand up to that kind of pressure, because they didn't compromise themselves at the king's table in Daniels chapter one, two, and three. They didn't compromise who they were when the authorities of that day, when the people that were in charge of them said, this is what you should do. And they said, no, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna compromise who we are. We're gonna live in such a way that honors who God is in our lives. And so they show up at the fiery furnace and of course God delivered them. Faith-filled deeds are the result of these little faith-filled seeds. Esther saves an entire nation of people. She was there for such a time as this, this powerful moment of proclamation, but it was the faithful obedience of preparation that delivered us, delivered her to that moment. Daniel was not eaten by the lions when he wasn't supposed to be praying, but it was the previous devoted prayer life day after day before that moment that allowed him to experience this incredible faith-filled moment. All of us want the headline, All of us want to kill Goliath, to not be consumed by the lion and everybody to be astounded, to to walk out of the fiery furnace when everybody was convinced when we walked in we would never come. All of us want those kinds of faith-filled deeds, these incredible, huge things. But living by faith is living by faith in the ordinary so that God knows we can be trusted with the extraordinary. Living by faith in the natural so that God knows he can deliver to us the supernatural. Like that's what it looks like. So let me just, just give you some really practical examples. We've got a family in our church. They joined our financial peace G group last fall. We're gonna have another one of those this fall. Launches in just a couple weeks. They had some debt trying to figure out how they're gonna figure it out, how they're gonna make it. And so they decided, hey, we're just gonna start tithing. We haven't been tithing. They started tithing. Even as they were trying to wrestle with some circumstances, they had a wreck and they just still tied. They, they one of them went in the hospital. They just continued to give and trust God and being faithful, planting faithful seed. And they got a phone call that they were supposed to have a meeting. And so the husband went into the meeting and he got a humongous, like a five-figure raise that was unexpected. And they have completely credited God with answering and responding in this faith-filled way because they were just planting seeds of faithfulness in the season before that. You say, "Man, that's such a pastor thing to say." I'm a pastor. What do you want me to say? (laughs) That's the story. I'm not making it up. Faith-filled deeds are a result of faith-filled seeds. Like there's so many examples, so many stories. So, what if in your life, living by faith, meant that you would trust God in ways that you never have before? Here's what I believe the Lord laid on my heart today. I'm not going to get super legalistic on it. I'm not going to get in your business. I'm just gonna honor what I believe the Lord shared with me this week. For some of you, living by faith means you need to put the bottle down and stop drinking because you need to trust that God can give you peace instead of looking for it somewhere else. Living by faith for some of us means that we need to literally pray and ask God this week to help us invite someone to church. It's gonna be uncomfortable perhaps. We're not sure what they're gonna say, but living by faith says, I'm just gonna take a chance. I'm just gonna take a moment. I'm gonna plant a seed in someone else's life believing that God is going to honor that living by faith may mean breaking up with him or her because the only thing worse than being single is being in a relationship with the wrong somebody it's these little intentional moments of living by faith trusting that even if it doesn't result in the the extraordinary living by faith in the ordinary is enough because God is writing a grand story in our lives and so many of us have been searching, we're trying to figure out what does it look like to live the life that God desires to construct in me? And so the question becomes, and I asked it a little different way, how do I live by faith? Here's the prayerful question you ask God this week, God, how do you want me to live by faith? How do you want me to live by faith? What is it you're asking me to do? What are the little things? There's so much me right now, my strength, my gifts, my charisma, my ability to produce, my ability to help. It's amazing how quickly we shift. We get to a moment where we know we can't do anything. I mean, we get a bad report from the doctors and we don't know what else to do. And man, don't we just immediately start praying by faith? God, we need you to do a miracle. God, we need you to show up in this... We find out that we've done everything, we we can't work any more overtime, we can't produce any more income, we can't sell off anything else we've got. The bill is due, the bills are due, and the income's just not, Lord, we need you to show up. Jehovah Jireh, where are you at? My provider, like I need one of them like amazing checks in the mailbox I wasn't expecting. Like God, I need you to do something now. We pray by faith. When we get to the place where we recognize we aren't enough, but what if we lived in such a way where we acknowledge we aren't enough all the time because we aren't. And then we trust God to be enough and to be more than enough. And here's the, the amazing thing about the way that God writes our story. He uses our not enough to accomplish so much in our lives. Really what faith is, is faith is belief producing behavior. It's just acknowledging that God is enough, that God will do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. It's those evidences of things. It's the things that are unseen that we hope for and trusting that God by faith can accomplish more than we ever could. Even if we worked all of our life for this, God can do it in a moment. Faith-filled deeds come from faith-filled seeds. So God, how do you want me to live by faith? faith. It's a how-to guide. Open it up and begin reading and just never stop. When you get stuck, just keep reading. When you get bored, just keep reading. Out of this incredible instruction manual comes the truths of who God is and what God is asking of you and what God is blessing you with and asking God how you should live by faith. I believe will produce some of the most amazing, obedient-filled moments that you will see the hand of God on your life like never before. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head. Nobody's looking around. We close our time together today. There's a lot. I know we covered a lot of ground, but if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need to do what you were talking about there at the beginning. I need to, by faith, receive salvation. I need to trust God for salvation. His grace extended to me. And I I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. If that's you, nobody's looking around, I encourage you, just throw your hand up right now. We wanna pray for you. You can throw your hand up right now. Thank you so much, thank you so much. If you're watching online today, I encourage you, just drop that in the chat. Let us know you're making that decision. Let us pray for you. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation, but I am asking God to help me to live by faith more than I ever have before. I wanna know what that looks like. I'm gonna maybe dig deeper into his word. I'm gonna talk to some folks around me whose lives are kind of tracking with what I'm looking for. But I'm asking God right now to impress upon my heart what it looks like to live by faith. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. So many hands today. God, I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much, God. God, I thank you for these moments as we gather together. And God, I ask you now in this moment to respond to those who are trusting you for salvation. They know right now, they've lifted their hand, they've acknowledged in their heart that they are far from you. And so God, I pray that you would forgive their sins and to lead their lives, be their Lord. God, we thank you that you're changing eternities right now. For some of them, they're, they're reaping the benefits of prayers that were prayed by someone who came before them. And God, for others, they are putting a stake in the ground to change the trajectory of their family for generations to come. And so God, thank you for this moment right now, the decision that they've made. Help us to walk with them in these first few days of a relationship with you. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hand, acknowledged in this room and online that they wanna live by faith. God, help them to find those seed moments, those small things, reading your word, trusting you, God, believing for more, putting their own strength and gifts and charisma and all of those things aside and living by faith in ways that acknowledge that you are more than enough for every single moment of their day. And God, as they do that, would you help them to experience the blessings and the supernatural the benefits of who you are as you write their story in such an amazing way. Help us all, God, to fall in love with your word during these four weeks, God, to see your word as a prized possession in our lives that you've entrusted to us. It's not just a book of thou shalt nots, God, it is a book of how-tos to find your blessing and your best over our lives. Don't let us cherry pick it. Don't let us just read the scriptures that agree with our own already made decisions, but God, let let it challenge us Let it be sharper than any two-edged sword to cut in and to shape us and to change us. And God, as we do, allow that work. God, would we honor you in ways we've never done before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.